Hey Springvale, I am so excited about how you have responded. We, we had our Christmas offering, we all gave to that, we raised $77,000, and now we're investing that into people in our community. We're investing love into our community. And you've seen Andrea sharing how we have spread that money around five different organizations. And that's what I mean by investing in love, telling people in a tangible way that we care about them. Well, we can do that as individuals too with our My Four. You know, there are people in our church that pray at their meals for their My Four. They're investing love into them. There's people that send texts or emails, say, hey, how are you doing? Just checking up and making sure you're okay. There are people that write letters of encouragement. There are people that drop off food, soup, any kind of food, sweets, uh, to show that they love and they care for others. And there's people that work out together on Zoom uh, with other people, they're my four. They're investing their life, investing love, investing time, even investing money into other people uh, to show the love of Christ. And that's what mission is all about. That's how we do the mission that God gave us. His mission for us is that we would reach people with the gospel and then build them in their faith. And we do that by interceding, the three eyes, interceding for people, praying for them, and loving them through prayer. And then we do, we, we, we reach them by investing into their lives, investing ourselves, our resources into them and showing a tangible way of love. And then we invite them to something that will meet a need in their lives that God is providing, whether it's reading a book or watching something online or coming to Alpha, whatever it is, we, we intercede, we invest, we invite. And so I wanna pray for us as we engage in God's mission through our My Four. Father, uh, your love for this world is incredible. Uh, you sent your own son and Jesus, you came and you willingly suffered and died for us because you loved us. You invested love in us. And Jesus stands at your right hand now, Father, and interceding for us. And you invite us into a deeper walk with you. And so God, I pray that we would understand your mission, that we would live it out by interceding for people, by investing, our resources into people as an act of love and by inviting them to meet with you in whatever way you lead us to. We ask that you would help us to do your mission because we love people and we care for them and we believe your word and we're concerned for their soul. Would you work through us? Would you work through people that are watching right now, Lord? Help them to identify their my four, but then help them to, to love their people. In Jesus' name I pray. Several years ago, I flew from London, Ontario into Toronto. I had never done that before. Usually I would drive on the 401. And when I was driving in west side of Toronto on the 401, it just seemed like there was development all around. And I just assumed that it was like that past where I could see. But when I got in the air and saw the big picture from up high, I saw that there was tons of farmland that surrounded Toronto that was really close to Toronto. I was shocked how much, but I would never have known that from the ground level. I had to get up high and see the big picture. And we're in a series now called The Big Picture. And the reason we're in is we want to see what God is doing in our world through scripture, see the big picture of how God has been at work. We, in our first sermon, talked about the plan that God has. He has a plan. In fact, he initiated before creation ever even happened. And then in our second sermon, we learned that God created the world, put men and women into it, and then gave them responsibilities, but they fell. 
and there were consequences that came of that. Then in our third sermon, we went all the way to the other end of the scripture and we saw that God has a plan and it will be fulfilled. He made promises to us. He describes what it's going to be like and how all those consequences will be met. But now we're going back to Genesis to pick up how God is at work. And so we see that he started with creation, then came the consequences of the fall, and then covenants. But one of the things we ask you to do, which I'm very appreciative of, is we ask you to, to share things that you think could stop us from being, being part of God's plan. So things like laziness or busyness or individualism, disobedience, apathy, feeling overwhelmed and letting it control us, or lack of faith. They're the kind of attitudes or things that we face that keep us from joining God in his big plan. And we want to address those by understanding what his plan is and how we join it. So after the consequences, after Adam and Eve had sinned, they brought a fracture into the world and they brought those consequences. And as a result, we were separated from God. And so then God chose to enact his plan and take the next step by use of covenants. Well, what's a covenant? Well, let me read one that I'm sure that you have heard before. I take this woman I hold by my right hand to be my lawful wedded wife. Before God and witness his presence, I promise to love her and to honor her and to cherish her in that relationship. And leaving all others cleave only to her and to be to her in all things a true and faithful husband, so long as we both shall live, I promise. Now, I, I'm sure that you have either been at a wedding or you have watched one on TV or movie, so you know what I just read. It's called vows. It's promises, and in this case, a promise that a man makes to a woman, and he promises her certain things. I'll promise that but I'm making this promise before God and these others that I'm going to keep the vows I'm about to make. I promise you that I will honor you. I promise you I'll cherish you. I promise you that I'll leave all others and forsake them and give myself only to you. These are promises that the, that the groom is making to the bride so she can build her life on those promises. And she too makes promises. And that's what a covenant is. It's an arrangement before God and before people of promises that people make to fulfill with one another. Now, of course, the pro problem with a covenant and the problem with promises is sometimes people don't keep them. And it causes great pain, especially in something like a marriage. But the thing with God is he can't lie. That's what scripture says in Hebrews, that God never lies. And so he can't lie. And so therefore, any promise he makes, you can guarantee that it's going to happen because God's promises can't be broken. He can't lie. He has the power to overcome anything that might oppose him. And so he makes these promises so we can build our relationship with him on those promises. Now, Let's look at the, one of the first and most famous promises that uh, God makes. It's to Abraham, the covenant to Abraham. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 4. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing, and I will bless those that bless you. I will, whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So in this passage, 
Uh, it's very interesting. The, the five consequences that came out of sin, God addresses through the promises he makes in this covenant to Abraham. The first consequence, if you remember the F words, flight, we're running from God. And here in this, he goes, I am going to give you a land. I'm promised to give you a land. So people, as a result of the sin, are running from God. They have no place to call home. And God says, I'm going to provide a home for you. And the second C that he, we, or F that we talked about was fight. The, the conflict that comes in relationships between husband and wife, brother and brother, nation versus nation. And here God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation and I'm going to bless you. And so in order to be a nation, God has to resolve the conflict between all those people. There has to be some unity that happens so that people aren't fighting one another because they never be, could become a nation, let alone a great nation. So God is addressing the issues that are between us and him that came about as the result of the consequences. Now the third consequence, F consequence, was flawed. Uh, we were cursed in our work and in our reproduction. And there would be great pain. But here God says, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless those who bless you and I'm going to curse those that curse you and all people on the earth will be blessed for, through you. So God says cursing came as a result of the sin, but I'm going to bring blessing into your life and I'm going to bless you so that your work and that your work multiplies, you become great and rich, but also so that you will produce a nation from you. So God's going to bless the things that were flawed. And then we remember fatality and, and that we're going to die. That's what that curse was, that we all die because we're separated from God. And God hints at what he's going to do when he says, I'm going to bless those who bless you and all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So all peoples of the earth are going to be blessed through you. Now that's a hidden reference. You wouldn't know what it meant necessarily here until you get further in and God makes more promises. And then uh, we find out that through Christ, all people of the earth are going to come to faith and reconciliation. And Christ is a descendant of Abraham. And so God's plan is millennia in advance, even though he's making a promise right now to Abraham that he will keep in thousands of years. And finally, the final F consequence was that we are foes of God. We are created now because of our sin as enemies of God. And then, but this, this whole covenant guarantees that God is now breaching that because he says, um, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you, Abraham, and all the I wills here, I will do this, I will bless you, I will give you a homeland, I will curse those that curse you, I will bless all the earth through you. All of those I wills mean that God is present with Abraham. So what I find really cool about this is that God is restoring what man lost through his promise. He's promising I will do that. Now I also want you to kind of notice who God is talking to. So let's just stop before we go any further here. We're going to find out in a few verses that Abraham is 75 years old when he leaves Haran. So when he hears from God, he's 75. Now for most of us, at 75, in our mentality, in our culture, we're done. We're done. We're, we're, we're not taking on new assignments. We're not doing great new things. We're not picking everything up and moving. And yet God doesn't care how old we are. Doesn't care if we're young. Doesn't care if we're a teenager. He doesn't care if we're an adult or a senior. He doesn't care if we're a man or a woman. He doesn't care if we're married or unmarried, if we're divorced 
or were working toward getting married. He didn't care about any of that. He calls each person as he wants to use them. And age is not a reason to stop serving God. See, in our mentality, in our culture, uh, when we retire, we, we say, you know, we raised our kids, we've done service to the church, we've done our thing, now I'm done. I'm retired spiritually. There's no retirement in Scripture spiritually. And God calls all kinds of different people in all kinds of different situations at all kinds of ages. And maybe he's calling you and you need to listen to him. You know, we have men and women who are leading the church, who are leading life groups, who are leading ministries, who are serving in our kids' ministry. All of them are retired. And they are serving faithfully because they're not listening to the world to tell them how they serve God. They're listening for God to tell them how to serve God. And so I want to challenge you. Is God calling you to something? Maybe something brand new. Maybe something hard in your life. You see, it doesn't matter our age. It doesn't matter our gender. It doesn't matter our marital status. There's only one thing that matters with God. And that's do we have the faith to listen and obey and trust Him? So Abraham went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Now what is faith? Well, the first thing we learn in Abraham's life, the father of faith, the man of faith, is that he listened because he said Abraham went as the Lord told him. You see, he was listening to what God had to say to him. I think that's one of the things that we struggle with most. We go, we don't know what God wants us to do, but do we listen for what God wants to say to us? You know, the most common way God speaks is through his word, through prayer, and through other people. So are you listening? Are you in God's word, seeking for what he would have to say, trying to learn the promises that he gives, trying to get a sense of his voice in your life? If you're not listening, you're not going to know how to respond to God. You're not going to understand the promises of God. You're not just going to know what he's trying to lead you because you have to be listening. Faith always means listening. So we need to be in his word. And that's why we encourage all of us to be in his word daily so we can hear the voice of God. But faith isn't just listening. Faith also requires another step. So Abraham took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all his possessions that he had accumulated and all the people that he had acquired in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. So faith means listening to God, but then it means obeying God. So he took everything. He heard God say, go. Now, do you remember what he said a little earlier? Go, I will show you the land that you're to go to. He didn't even tell him where he was supposed to go. He just said, you start going and then I will direct you as you obey. That's often the way it is when we follow God when we're having faith in him. He doesn't give us the entire plan. Very rarely does he show us the entire plan. He just says, you take your step of obedience and when you get there, I'll give you the next step that you're supposed to take. Faith always means listening to God, but it also means obeying him. Now, I just, just want you to think about that in your own life. Maybe that's part of the reason why you feel stuck in your relationship with God because he has called you to obey him. Maybe he said, go resolve that issue, forgive that person, give this money, serve in this way. God has been working in your life. Take this attitude out of your life. Deal with what you're watching on the screens. Things like that, that he has called you to do, but you just, it's hard and you said, I, I don't want to do them. And so you don't have a sense of God in your life because God has spoken and you haven't obeyed. Faith always means listening, but then it means stepping out in obedience. And that's what Abraham did. He took everything, all the people associated with him, all that he had, and he started out, even though he didn't know where he was going. But there's one more step to faith. 
Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abraham. Okay, so the curse is starting to be broken down because Abraham, God is appearing. He's being with Abraham. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I'll give this land. Uh, so he built an altar to the Lord, and from there he went to the hills of Bethel. I've been there. They're high up. Bethel's on one side. You can look down. You can see the Jordan Valley. It's an interesting place. He pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord. The guide I was with said, we are on this. It was a huge rock, very interesting. And he goes, I think this is where Abraham built his uh, offering to God. It's a high place. It's a very interesting place. And you can see all around. And there he looks all around and he called on the name of the Lord. And then he set out and continued toward the Negev. And so Abraham listened to God. He obeyed God, but then he trusted God. Now, we can get in our car and drive, you know, two hours and think nothing of it. But this trip that may take us in a car from where he was, it might take six, eight hours maybe. This took him six, eight weeks. He had flocks, herds, young kids, families, had to move slow. By the way, there's dangers. There's physical dangers in the land, animals. There's also robbers. There's um, people that are hostile. And he's going through this. And, and it'd be easy to say, well, I can't make that trip because I'm so, we're so small of a number. We could be really hurt if we're not careful. And yet he trusted God. He trusted that God would show him where to go. Because remember, God hasn't shown him the place. He said, I will show you as you're going. But he also trusted him in his going, that God would take care of him. Whenever we do what God wants us to do, faith is always about listening, obeying, and then trusting that God has the consequences. You know, that's one of the things why people say they don't give. They're afraid. They're afraid that if I give, then I, I won't, I'll have a need and I won't have any way to meet that need. And faith says, if God told me to give, I heard it, I'm going to listen, I'm going to obey, and I'll trust him to take care of it. Well, faith says, you know, I'm, uh, I, I want to date that non-Christian because I really love him, I really love her, they're a nice person, they're better than most Christians I know. But faith says, I hear what God says in his word, and I'm going to obey him, and I'll trust him with the consequences of that. So faith is listening to God, obeying what he tells us to do, and then trusting him that he will take care of us and handle the consequences, whatever they could be. Now, faith is not a one-time thing. This chapter doesn't end where we just ended. It goes on. Now, there was a famine in the land, the land that God sent Abraham to. Interesting, isn't it, that uh, God puts us in places that aren't always easy. There's difficulty and pain, and, and he needs to do something about this problem. And so Abraham goes down to Egypt to live, for a while, because the famine was so, so severe. But he's got a problem. He says, Sarah, his wife, I know what a beautiful woman you are. So <laughs> she's 60 years old, and she's so beautiful that he's concerned that other younger men will want her as a wife. When the Egyptians see you, they'll say, um, this is his wife. And so they'll kill me, but will let you live because they want you. And say you instead, this is how we're going to solve this problem. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Now, what I find very interesting here is this is how Abraham and his faith is so much like us. 
He, he's trusted God huge. He's left Haran, taken, moved everything he has in the step of faith, not even know where he's going. And he trusts God. He listens to him. He obeys him. He trusts him. And he comes to the new land. But it's bad. So he comes up with a plan. It's, there's a severe famine. I, I, I'm going to have to do something about this. And so let's go down to Egypt. But I got a problem. My wife is so pretty that they're going to kill me for her. Now, what I find interesting here is his solution is not one of faith. It's one of flesh. And watch how Abraham, the man of faith, chooses to solve the problem that he's supposed to be trusting God for. So when Abraham came to Egypt, and the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman, and when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the king of Egypt. And he, she was taken into his palace. So he treated Abraham well for her sake. And Abraham required, or acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. I mean, Pharaoh just blessed him, gave him lots of stuff, because he's going to be one of the family. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, she is my sister? so that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Now, I find it interesting his solution here is not one of faith, it's one of the flesh. Abram getting in a tight spot. He predicted it. He knew what was going to happen. Clearly, he's had this problem before. People harassing him because they want his wife. And he goes, now I'm down here. I follow God. I got no protection. I got no family around. The only way I'm going to handle this, I'll tell him that she's my sister. Now, in fact, she was his half-sister. But, but she's, he's shading the truth so to protect himself. And he kind of really leaves Sarah out in the cold. Like, she's going to be taken by Pharaoh. So instead of trusting God, he trusts in the flesh. So why does God include this story here? I mean, God called Abraham and Abraham responded in faith and, and God's covenant is being fulfilled because of the response in faith. And now this story? I think it's to remind us of a couple things. The first thing is that the covenants that God make are not based upon our faithfulness, but upon God's. If our salvation rests upon our ability to do what is right and to do what is good, we're going to fail. And it's never going to take place. God is never going to get us back. So he has to create a plan that he makes promises and that he will fulfill. And it's very interesting, even though Abram sins and doesn't trust God, God still fulfills his promise to protect him and to bless him, curse those who curse them. Interesting here that Pharaoh is cursing Abraham, because he's taking his wife, and God steps in and deals with Pharaoh. We're not told how he dealt with Pharaoh. We know Abraham pulls a stun again, and God shows up in the person's dream. But he blesses those who bless Abram. And so Pharaoh sent him off because God stepped into that situation. You know, Abraham's faith wasn't strong enough. It failed. And so if it depended on Abraham's faith, that means his salvation, this covenant, would have fallen down. But it doesn't. It depends only on God's faithfulness. God's promise to restore us out of the consequences that we brought to ourselves as mankind when we sin. And God is working on his promises. You know, the greatest example of this and the clarity of it is uh, Jesus. Jesus is, it has to come to earth and go to the cross for us. So God is promising to restore us 
And so he knows when he makes this promise that in the future, in thousands of years, he is going to have to send his own son to take our place on the cross in order to pay for our sin because we won't be able to do it ourselves. Isn't that love? I know that they're not going to be able to do this. I know that they're going to fail. They're not always going to obey. They're not always going to listen. But I am going to promise that I will take care of them and I will restore them because I'm going to do it through my son, Jesus, whom I send. He'll take their place on the cross, pay for their sin, so that those who exercise faith in me may experience relationship with me. See, this whole plan of God does not rest on us, our good works, our brilliance, our abilities. It rests on God. And that's what gives it power. And that's what gives it strength. Because God will do what he promised. He can't lie. And so that's why we put our faith in Jesus. Because God didn't make the plan of salvation by you obey, you do your best. And then when you get to heaven, I'll get, you know, if you do good enough, I'll, I'll let you in. But if you don't, I won't. That's not how this plan works. That's how most people think it works. It doesn't work that way. It works that Jesus paid for everything. Now, if you put your faith, if you listen to the message of the gospel that Jesus died, you admit your sin, believe in Jesus' death that that paid for your sin, and then surrender your life to God. When you're willing to listen, obey, and trust God, then you enter into the gift of salvation that God has covenanted thousands and thousands of years ago. Let's wind this time up by thinking about how faith might apply to us today. The first thing we should realize is though God makes the promises to Abraham and he exercises faith, he never sees very much of the, this co covenant and promise fulfilled. He never sees the one who will bless all the earth. He never sees Jesus. Jesus doesn't happen for thousands of years after him. He doesn't see the nation of Israel. When he dies, he has one son and, he, and grandson, two grandsons, that's it. That's all he sees. He doesn't see how they will multiply into a great nation. He doesn't see them owning the land because Abraham only bought a small portion for a place to bury his wife and all his descendants, but he didn't own all the land that God said he was going to give him yet. See, a lot of times when we exercise faith, we won't see everything that happens in our lives. You know, a lot of grand grandparents and parents pray for their kids. I can't tell you how many stories I've heard from people say, you know, I was a kid, I grew up in a Christian home, I, I was taught about Jesus and then I walked away, I didn't want anything to do with it. And my grandparents and my parents prayed faithfully. And now that I'm 50 years old, now that I'm 40 years old, my grandparents have died, but their prayers had an impact and I've come back to Christ. You know, even we think about my four and the people that we want to ask God to help us to reach. You know, we're working, we're investing prayer and we're investing love and we're inviting them. And, and all these seeds that we plant in people's lives, we may never see the effect of them. We may not see that person come put their faith in Christ. Or we might see that. And yet we still do the mission. But we, want, we don't see is that their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren who follow Christ because of the decision that the one you have been interceding for and investing in and, and uh, inviting has come to Christ. Like we don't see all that God is going to do. We won't know it till we stand before God and he goes, here, let me show you what your obedience accomplished. Because faith isn't just for what God does in our lives. Faith is to trust God to do what he said he would do that could transcend generations, generations. That's why following Christ is such a powerful seed 
and, and the life of our children and our grandchildren and our neighbors and their children. And, and it just goes on and on. But often we don't see it. You know, it seems to me our vision is a lot like this faith journey that Abraham was on. Because God has called us to double our impact. How is that going to happen? I don't know. I just know we have to obey what God calls us to do now and we'll trust him for the results. There's no way you can force God to do what you want him to do. Faith is, God, you called us. We're going to step out and go, but we're going to need you. We're going to trust you to direct us and guide us along the way so that when 2025 comes, you will have accomplished in us what you said you want to accomplish because we obeyed you. See, that's what faith is. It's to listen to God, obey what he tells us to do, and then trust him to bring about the consequences. And really, when you think about it, our vision to double our impact by 2025, we believe as elders that came from God, but we can't tell you how it's going to work out. It's a faith journey. We have to listen to him, obey, and trust him to accomplish what he wants us to do. And it's true in your life and my life as individuals, as we reach out to our MI4, we don't know if they're going to come to Christ. We don't know how God's going to work in their life. We just do what he calls us to do and trust him to do that. And then one more thing is just the nature of faith. You know, uh, to follow Christ in our day and age is challenging. It's going to force you to stand at times at work or a sports team or your neighbors, sometimes even your family. It's going to cause you to stand, call you to stand. And um, you're, you're going to really struggle because it's going to be a cost to it. Or God's going to call you to step out and move, take your family, pick them up and go to a place where he's going to show you. Or it may be, it, it may be that you have to endure some really deep struggles and still trust God. And you feel like, God, if this is the way God treats people he says he loves. I'm not sure I trust God because he, we have this understanding that faith is trusting God for what we ask him for. Well, I prayed for it. I need that and I'm trusting God for that and he's not delivering. That's not faith. That's called manipulation. Faith is trusting that God is who he says he is, that he's good, and that he will do what is consistent with who he is. He will do good. So even though I don't see it and I don't understand it and I don't feel like it and I feel like God has abandoned me, I'm going to trust him because he is good and all that he does is good. And though I can't see the good in my life right now through this pain or through this challenge or through this difficulty, through this person, I'm going to trust God that he will produce good in my life. I'm going to stop fighting against God. I'm going to stop arguing with God, disobeying God. I'm going to trust God and claim the promise of peace, claim the promise of hope, claim the promise of love that he gives me, and then walk in those. You see, faith is evidenced in our lives every day. We have to trust God, listen for him, obey him, and then trust him. Father, uh, I don't know how your word has spoken to your people today. Perhaps some are here listening and they have never trusted Christ. They have never really understood this. I pray you bring clarity to them. Help them to understand what it means to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Others listening are followers of Christ and there's different trials and temptations and difficulties. Even this isolation that we're in is challenging some of us. 
We pray that we will not trust you to do what we want you to do, but we will trust that you are good and that you always do good. And so there's good in what you're doing in our lives. Would you strengthen our faith and help us when we fall? When, like Abraham, we take situations into our own hands, we try to solve them our way. Would you help us, God, to trust you instead and do it as you call us to live our lives? Amen.